Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome to Couch Potato Diary. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for downloading and listening. Today, we are coming to you from the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio. Clearwater Cleaning Solutions is a one-stop commercial and residential cleaning company based out of Calgary. They have a fantastic team who are ready to make your life simpler and easier by fulfilling all of your cleaning needs. Check them out online, clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. The Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio is uh, mobile of course. So we are in a bit of a different locale today as we are in my hometown of Assiniboia, Saskatchewan. I am here for the week, so if it sounds a little different, it shouldn't, but it might, and that is why. Coming up on the show today, the NBA playoffs are mostly set. Baseball's first weekend is in the books. We have a new Masters champion and an unbelievable night of fights at UFC 273. So all of that coming up, and we thank you for joining us today. I say we and us. It's always just me. So the NBA, we are into the play-in round now. It's uh, It was a full day yesterday, and we now have everything set up going into the, the play-in. And this is going to be... It's an interesting couple of days. You have a Brooklyn team that should just beat the ever-living daylights out of Cleveland and then move into that seven seed to take on the Boston Celtics. And I don't think Milwaukee was tanking to get out of that number two seed. Um, it, it That doesn't really strike me as their kind of MO necessarily, so I'm not going to put that on them. But things stack up much more favorably now for Milwaukee to face Chicago in round one instead of Boston taking on Brooklyn now in, in round one. And Miami will get either... I'm assuming Brooklyn wins this one. So uh, they get now either Cleveland, Brooklyn, Charlotte, or Atlanta in the eight spot. And uh, I, I think that's good for Miami as I think they kind of need to, to get into this one. But we'll, we'll do more on what happens in the playing round on Wednesday's show. So I don't want to go too much into those. The matchups that we know right now, Milwaukee against Chicago. I talked coming into the season about how much I liked Chicago. I talked during the season about how much I liked Chicago, but I always said there was an upper bound limit to how much I liked Chicago. I didn't think this was a title team or anything like that. I thought they'd be good enough to get out of the first round if they didn't play Milwaukee and they play Milwaukee. Um, And so I, I think this is, I think it's going to be a test for the Bucks, I'm not saying, yeah, Bucks in two or anything like that. Like, I, I think Chicago will be able to get a game on, on their home court, but there isn't there isn't a whole lot in this series that leads me to believe that Chicago can give Milwaukee a real big run, you know? And that's that's one of the issues with how Chicago is is kind of put together, I guess, is that they have a good team. They don't have a great team. And the problem is they don't have a lot of ways to become a great team. You know, like aside from injuries, a lot of this year was best case scenario, right? Like DeMar DeRozan's playing out of his mind. Zach Levine was playing at an all-star level. When he was healthy, Caruso was playing at an all-defense level. Like they, they got a lot of what they needed. Again, injuries slowed them down. And I'm not denying that at all. But now going up against Milwaukee, like no one's favoring them in this series. And I, I think the the Bucks win this one. And then you look at what do the Bulls do to become a championship contender. And it looks a little bleak in that sense anyway. But again, like it's something we've talked about on this show before. There's nothing wrong with being just a good baseball team, right? Like there's, there, there's nothing wrong with, um, or sorry, basketball team. We'll get to baseball in a little bit. There's nothing wrong with 
Like, just, you know what, we're going to put as good of a team out there as we can and just see where it lands. And they, they did that here, and right now they land in, in a tough spot. They're a couple of better weeks away from maybe landing in a, a bit of a better spot, but I, I, I just, I don't see... I don't see where the Bulls go from here, and that has to be a little bit frustrating. And it's frustrating for me, who doesn't necessarily like all the tanking and just wants to say, yeah, just try to be good and see where it goes. This is the limit to to that. The next series is Philadelphia against Toronto, and that is going to be so intriguing to me. There is no pressure on the Raptors right now. They, they, like If they take a game or two, then I would say expectations for the season are met. They are going to be the trendy underdog pick over the next week until this series gets going Saturday afternoon in Philadelphia. My big concern is the Raptors don't have a Joel Embiid stopper. Now, very few teams in the league do, and Philadelphia still only ends up in the four seed. But in a seven-game series... I, I think you look at I, I just I think you look at like where these teams stack up and the Raptors defensively are able to limit Philadelphia everywhere except for Joel Embiid and Joel hasn't had a big dominant game against Toronto but that's because and we've talked about this before I hate how Philadelphia uses Joel against the Raptors and I get you don't want to change up too much in the regular season but I, I think come playoff time now I think Doc Rivers is going to recognize there's no one out on the floor who is close to Joel Embiid's size. Just like, look, Joel, I know you like to do the three-point stuff and you like to do a couple dribble things and that's fine, that's fantastic. We, we really do appreciate that. If you could just plant your ass down in the block for 40 minutes a night, for the next four nights, we're probably going to come away with a sweep in this series because the Raptors, just they just don't have anything. They can shut down Harden. They can limit some of the other options. Thibel isn't even an option for a couple of games in this series because he didn't want to get that jibby jab. But there, there, is no, there is no option to stop Joel Embiid on the Raptors. And I think the sooner Philadelphia figures that out, the better it will be. On the Matisse Thibel thing, he said he got the first dose of the vaccine, but then once he found out that getting uh, both doses meant that you weren't 100% safe from uh, either spreading or contracting, he decided it was best to just not get the, the second vaccine, and thusly, he is now not eligible to play in the games in this series that go to Toronto. Say what you will about all of this, I certainly have, but... The one thing that has been frustrating about the reporting of this from the beginning is that this is all being framed as a, oh, well, because of Canadian laws, they have to da-da-da-da-da-da, as if, like, the, the same doesn't apply to the Raptors, like, all their guys have to be vaccinated to be popping in and out of the United States on a, a semi-regular basis, and... It's just, it's frustrating how all that is framed. And also, when people are talking about, oh, there's an unfair competitive advantage happening here. As if the Raptors didn't just play an entire season in Tampa Bay. As if the Blue Jays haven't spent the last year and a half to two years um, playing in different cities and different countries all over just to make things work for everyone else. So, spare me with the, oh, there's a competitive advantage. As if, like, you're just falling over yourself to prove how absolutely stupid you are. In the Western Conference, the two matchups that are set are Golden State against Denver and Dallas against Utah. The play-in is Minnesota against the Clippers and New Orleans taking on San Antonio. You will note I did not say the Lakers in there, and the thought that they think they can get Nick Nurse is laughable arrogance. I think Eric Kareen from The Athletic posted the conversation, uh, Hey, Masai, do we have permission to talk to Nick Nurse? Nick, or, um, Masai, LOL. 
Lakers. Okay, well, can we at least say we're asking so we can post that as a, a story to show we're trying? Yeah, sure, whatever, go ahead. That's the extent of it. There's no way Nick Nurse is leaving for the, the, the LA Lakers as that team um, continues their death spiral over the last little bit. This, these play-in matchups are really interesting. The Timberwolves are playing the best basketball they've played since Kevin Garnett was there. This is the best Carl Anthony Towns has looked. Anthony Edwards is an exciting player. I... I think it's really great what Minnesota is able to do, um, and I think it'll be a damn shame if they win this game, how buried that series with Memphis will be in the first round, because I think there's a lot of exciting basketball to be played coming out of that, but I think the Timberwolves get the win. I, I like what the Clippers have done this year. That this, this has been a great year for the Clippers, and it kind of reminds me of um, 2019 with them before they got Kawhi, where it's just a bunch of dudes who are just trying their bag off, and... I, I hope that they end up as the um, as the eight seed coming out. I think they lose to Phoenix rather handily, unless Paul George and Kawhi Leonard make miraculous comebacks, and then things change a little bit. But I still think Phoenix gets the the win there. I think this is this is like the, the difference between Phoenix and Memphis is so great. This is a key key series if one of these teams wants to have any hope. Because I like this Memphis team a lot, but there isn't a whole lot of experience there. So I, I think that this is a, a key matchup coming up tomorrow in the West play in the two series that we know of in the West Golden State taking on the Denver Nuggets Denver doesn't sound like Jamal Murray um, or Porter Jr. are coming back this season which is again just so such a shame because of the great season that Nikola Jokic has had and to now not be able to take advantage of that is a, a real shame and you have like, both of these teams have had some injury issues, right? Like, obviously, Clay and then Draymond and Steph for the Warriors at different times is very frustrating from a Golden State perspective. Um, so you, you have two of these teams. One of them, it's going to be such a disappointment, and it's going to feel like such a wasted season um, with this ending in the first round. I think Golden State has enough to get it done, but again, like, the... Depending on the health of everyone, Draymond versus um, Jokic is going to be fun. And just whatever Steve Kerr can think of to throw at Jokic is going to be fun. One of, I think, the most important first-round series. Um, I think Philadelphia has the most on the line in the first round. If they lose to the Raptors in the first round, then who knows what happens in, in Philadelphia this year. Up next on that... The Utah Jazz. They cannot afford to have a first-round exit here. They need, need, need a win um, to like keep this thing together. If they if they lose here to the in the first round of the Mavericks, which by the way, I would favor them too. If Luca is healthy, he had a, an injury scare in the last game of the season. If Luca is healthy, then I favor Dallas in this series, and I think Utah just kind of blows it up. It's been a good run for the Utah Jazz, but they haven't been able to get over that hump, and I think that's it, it's incredibly disappointing, but I think Utah ends up having to, to blow it up. I think they have, it's them and Philadelphia who have the most on the line going into this series. So that is a bit on what's going on in the NBA. In baseball, the first week of the season has wrapped up. Uh, the focus here is going to be the Toronto Blue Jays. That's what I watched all three games. It is so nice to have this Blue Jays team back at the Rogers Center. That crowd was electric all weekend. The team 
obviously the offense was really, really good. Like there, you, you would like a few less strikeouts from Matt Chapman, but aside from that, that there is very little to complain about from an offensive perspective. The, the main alarm that everyone is going to sound off is pitching. Jose Barrios gets one out. Uh, Kevin Gosman goes five. Hyunjin Ryu goes three. And the, the wheels just kind of fell off. A couple of things here. This is not necessarily a panic for me. We knew going into the season that this was going to be a bit of a trickier start to manage some of the, the starting pitchers, right? Like the spring training was abbreviated and they weren't able to, to work their way into it. And so I, I think that those guys are going to be fine. Like we saw Garrett Cole get roughed up in his first outing. Like that this is that this is going to happen around the big leagues for a little bit as some of these starters work into it. The guys who got hit hard in the bullpen were like guys who weren't going to be on the team if um, Pearson and Barucki were healthy anyway. So I I don't have the panic button pressed for the Blue Jays. I know that there is a lot of um, people celebrating when they were down 7 nothing in game one saying, oh, this is the team that you guys think is going to beat everyone. This is the, the, the this is your king. Um, I know there was a lot of that going on on the internet and get out of here with all of that. It's three games into the season. I, I think the Jays are going to be fine. This offense is going to be a ton of fun. And now it's a really, really interesting early season test. Blue Jays against the Yankees as New York has come up with a couple of clutch hits in the first three games of their season against Boston. Um, it's, it's a scary offense. It's one that was held a little bit more in check than I thought they would be in the first three games. But again, it's three games into the season. Let's not jump to, to massive conclusions coming out of this. But for the Blue Jays, like it's obvious that Vlad Guerrero Jr., is back and locked in. It's obvious that Bo Bichette is back and back and locked in. George Springer, healthy this season. He is the X factor, or one of the X factors to me. We talked about a bunch of them on the the preview show this year. But George Springer, when we talk about okay, well, how did this Blue Jays team get better? Huh? They lost Marcus Simeon. If you get 150 games out of George Springer this year, that is an improvement over what you had before. And also Santiago Espinal, complete approach change at the plate. And we, we've seen some guys turn things around in Toronto before. A lot of the focus that we had was in the, the pitching department, but we've seen, and I'm not saying he's going to turn into these guys, but we've seen Edwin Encarnacion figure something out in Toronto. We've seen Jose Bautista turn his career around. I'm not saying Espinal's going to hit 50 home runs this season, but if he can turn into a, a legitimate threat at the bottom of the order, you feel very good about that. Um, I don't know if Danny Jansen's going to keep up a 400 pace. I'd, I'd probably bet against that, but um, he's like the whole offense. You just feel so confident about where they're at right now offensively. Um, and I, I think the pitching will come. So I I have no real panics about where the, the Blue Jays are currently at this season. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X is where the A's would be. And find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. The Masters is wrapped up for another year and we have another young phenom that everyone is going to watch out for as Scotty Scheffler gets a dominant win. Doesn't look as dominant because dude four putt on 18, which I think screwed up a lot of uh, top finish being 11 under or better bets that were out there. I believe that was a, a Pat McAfee show special that they had. But for golf, like th this has been happening a lot. You know, like we had, look, John Rahm, best player in the world. Jordan Spieth, 
no one is touching, that this is the next one. Rory McIlroy, this guy is the next guy. Bryson DeChambeau can hit it a billion yards and uh, is, is locked in with the science of the game. He's the next one to watch out for. And I think, I think, I, I, a, I think that's a lot of a lot more of the mainstream who are doing that, who are just trying to find that next tiger so they can really get locked in on this guy because that's when golf was at its best, when there was that one dude at the top. For the health of the sport, like there has never been this many high-level players at one time, and that is a great thing for golf. You need some of their personalities to shine through, and to their credit, a few of them have been. They haven't necessarily broken all the way through into the mainstream, as, as I think, certainly not as much as Tiger has, obviously. But you're not going to have that one dominant figure in the sport anymore. I think that's a good thing, but people need to learn more about these guys, and that's something that every sport kind of deals with. We've talked about it with baseball for forever, but I, I don't think now Scotty Scheffler is going to be the next Tiger Woods. That's, like, the reason Tiger Woods was so special is because not everyone just gets to dominate like that all day, every day, for forever, right? So you are going, you are in an era now where there are more very good golfers than we've ever had before. And I would suggest there's maybe even more great golfers at one time than we've ever had before. And so for just sitting down and enjoying a golf tournament every week, there is going to be something special. But I, I think we need to stop trying to figure out, okay, who's the next Tiger? Because it ain't here right now. And I don't know if it's going to be because of how good the, the competition is. On the Tiger Woods front, just an incredible gutsy performance. And you could see he was hurting the whole way. And no one, not a soul, would have blamed him for bowing out after the third round. Where, like, it was clear he just didn't have it anymore. And for him to, to grind his way through that, I thought was, like, just incredibly gutsy. And... One of those things that you are you are always going to remember. It's not going to be the first highlight you think of when Ty when you think of Tiger Woods. Clearly, but I I think that this is that this is something that goes down in the the Tiger Woods legacy just a little bit to be able to grind through this golf course. And when when we see him back again, who knows? Maybe not even till next year's Masters. But this was an incredibly gutsy performance from Tiger Woods. All weekend long. Corey Connors, a, a great showing for him all weekend. And he has, it does feel like he is one of the ones who is now flirting with being the next, oh, wow, watch out for this guy because he's going to be whatever. Um, it, it does feel like he is, he is on his way now to, again, just consistently threatening toward the top. Six, uh, finishes tied for six, three under for the weekend, which puts him eventually seven strokes back of Scotty Scheffler. A, a very good performance for, for Corey Connors, and just, again, something that you can build on. One of the highlights for me this weekend was UFC 273 going down in Jacksonville. We'll go more blow-by-blow uh, blow breakdown coming up on the Friday show when we're fighting Friday, or whatever I call it. Um, but the, the three main events, or the, the three key fights in this one comes up to my of taking on Gilbert Burns. And I, I admittedly didn't watch this fight until this morning. And so I saw some of the talk online about how Kamzat got the win, but he was exposed. And I was like, oh shit. Like, is this, I, I was kind of bracing for a not really all that good performance. He looked phenomenal. I don't know what, A, I don't know what y'all were expecting. B, I don't know what you were watching because he was Excellent. The precision that he was throwing with, the power that he was able to throw behind that precision. And the thing that really took to me for Kamzat Chemaev is that 
there was adversity in that second round. He lost that second round to Gilbert Burns and it didn't phase him. He came out and won that third round. And that was the that was the box that needed to be checked because there has been no adversity in this guy's UFC career so far. He's been hit twice in four fights. There, there hasn't been a whole lot for, for him to, to have to deal with. And so for him to face that adversity and still come forward with an excellent third round, I thought it was an, a great performance. You're not going to get him... There were comparisons going into this week uh, to John Jones, and in terms of like where this prospect is, I still think we're kind of on that trajectory. Jones was never tested in this way, but Jones didn't really face this kind of a test this quickly. It was a bit more gradual. It wasn't just a couple of fights, boom, Ryan Bader title fight, and we're leapfrogging over the dude at the back to finish off the ground and pound. Like it's what John Jones did was amazing, and to to try to. Compare that to, to Kamzat is a little crazy, but also I think to just assume that he's going to steamroll is ridiculous. That this was this was such a great performance. I I cannot speak enough to how impressed I am with Kamzat Shemaev. He's not jumping over Leon Edwards for title shots, but I, I think once that title fight is done, the dude's next in line. Um, and maybe at not international fight week, that'd be too quick of a turnaround. But by the end of the year, Kamzat Chemaev is fighting for a title. And honestly, I would like to see um, Gilbert Burns get another high-profile fight. I thought he showed up very, very well as well, throwing bombs right to the, the final horn. The one thing I, I will say kind of technically for Kamzat coming into this one, or sorry, coming out of this one, is I did not like how low the hands were all the time. Like, he, he, he was marching forward and... When it was on offense, it was great. But when he got tagged, he got tagged. And that that was a bit of a problem. Um, because that led to uh, a few more chances for, for Gilbert Burns. So I think maybe having a bit more respect for the power of your opponent when you're going into the next one. Because if Kamaru Usman lands a couple of those, it I think it's going to have a different result. And that's not a shot at Gilbert Burns. That is just a statement of, of the, the power that Kamaru Usman has and the respect that I think that Kamzat needs to have for that. So I think that's the learning experience coming out of this one is you've been able to just zombie your way forward before, but not going to be able to do it. Here, the bantamweight championship remains around the waist of Aljamain Sterling as he picks up a split decision win. I was a little surprised at how close it was. A, you gotta give a 10-8 to Sterling in that second round, and none of the judges did. I even, I gave him 10-8 in the third. He controlled the guys back for half of the round. That is a very difficult thing to do, to be in a dominant position for half of a round. I, I don't think that got enough credit and enough talk about, again, coming out of this fight. For for Sterling, excellent retribution. He posted a thing, how to make an apology to Aljamain Sterling. I need to do it. I didn't think he had a hope in winning this fight. In my mind, I I think I glamorized how well um, Piotr Jan did in that opening, or in that, that first fight that they had. And that kind of skewed me in this one because it was so dominant toward the end. You kind of forget that Aljo had a pretty good start and you forget Piotr Jan kind of gives rounds away at the beginning. And I think he did that here. I gave the first round to Sterling. I thought that he just was the busier of the two fighters and did more to affect the outcome of that fight in the first round. So I thought Aljamain Sterling was A, able to steal the round and then B, in rounds two and three, was able to really grab control of it. So I, I had Jan winning the, the fourth and the fifth to make it a little bit close, but I thought Aljamain Sterling had a great performance. And the thing that I liked about what Sterling did is he never let Jan get into any kind of rhythm or any kind of groove on the feet. Jan landed with power for certain, but 
There was never that run of, okay, here comes Piotr Jan. He's marching him down. He's like a robot. He's picking him apart. He's using that power that he has, the technique that he has. Aljamain Sterling kept him off balance enough that Jan never really got... He got into second gear a couple times, but he couldn't really get into that third gear. And I thought Sterling did a great job of doing that. In the main event, Alexander Volkanovsky, it was target practice. Um, Korean Zombie has improved greatly, but I, I think... I think I overstated how much that would affect this fight. Alexander Volkanovsky, I said coming in, is one of the most well-rounded, talented fighters we have ever seen in the UFC. And Saturday night did not do a whole lot to change that opinion. He was phenomenal. And Korean Zombie was just, he was trying to counter and he was a step slow on those. And when he was trying to initiate the offense and be, for to, to use the, the saying, kind of beat Volkanovsky to the punch, he was... He was doing that, but he was so slow compared to Volkanovski, faster than me, but so slow compared to Volkanovski that Volkanovski was able to quickly counter over the top of that. And so you have Jung kind of losing every exchange that those two fighters had. And um, Herb Dean with an excellent bit of refereeing at the end, calling a stop to this one at 45 seconds of the fourth round. Zombie should never have been allowed to go out for that that fourth round. And it's... It's awful cornering, and it's never going to change. And you want your fighter to be able to to go out on their shield in the biggest fight of his life. It was three thousand days between title fights for Korean Zombie, and it, he was not an undeserving challenger. Like he, he's not the number one contender, but he got this fight off of uh, an injury replacement, and I think he deserved to have this one play out. But he did not deserve to take an extra forty five seconds of an ass kicking in that fourth round. Horrible cornering. That's something that desperately needs to change in this sport. And uh, unfortunately, I think it's only going to change when the absolute worst happens. And hopefully, um, that that's not a scenario we, we have to deal with. Hopefully, these guys just figure it out. But dominance, absolute dominance from Alexander Volkanovsky. And I, I think there needs to be more of these. And it's, um, it, it kind of goes in line with the, if you pay these fighters what they're worth, maybe you get a few more of these bigger fights. And not that they have a super difficult time of putting big fights together, but you only see the biggest fighters of the year um, or the biggest fighters in the sport a couple of times a year. And I think now, if I think this is a good example of how you can kind of boost your stock in kind of keep busy fights for the champion. I think a lot of times we just wait for the perfect opponent. Okay, now this is the guy, title fight, let's go. I like the idea, especially at some of these lighter weight classes that these guys need to be bigger stars, because this was an excellent showcase, I thought, for Alexander Volkanovsky. And I think when you look at guys whose stocks kind of raised coming out of this one, it's both guys in the the Chemayev-Burns fight. It's Aljamain Sterling for sure. And it's definitely Alexander Volkanovsky. He looked like a world beater on Saturday night. I would like to have more of these fights where the, the champion is just like, okay, well, this is the number one contender, so I'm fighting him. It's not, it doesn't have to be a blood feud. It doesn't have to be the biggest fight we've ever seen. It can just be, hey, this is the number one contender. This is the champion. We're going to have this fight. I, I, I just, I thought this was a real good showing for Volkanovsky and kind of shows what you can do in these kind of stay busy fights, even for a champion. And I think like you look at Amanda Nunes or Valentina Shevchenko while we're waiting for, is this person really ready for Shevchenko? Uh, probably not. But if we wait for that, Shevchenko's going to be 85 years old before we find a fighter for her. Let's just throw the number one contender in there and see what happens and just keep divisions moving. That is how I would like to see it done. So that is going to do it for the program today. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, coming to you from 
A bit of a different location today for the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio. Spring into action with Clearwater Cleaning Solutions this spring and get 10% off your booking when you call 403-274-3998 and mention spring promo. Uh, no Twitch for me this week out here in Saskatchewan. We'll get back to that next week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at PrimetimeKlein. You can email the show, CouchPotatoDiary at Yahoo.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I'll talk to y'all later. I'm out.